This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. The brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. Two of our favorites back this week. Uh, ladies first, Sandy Shaw from Cable 14's Inside Council. Uh, it's called City Matters City now. Matters now. You know, I can't keep track. They keep no. changing it. But yeah, City Matters. And also from the Port Authority and from a winner of the Women of Distinction Award and ran for council and probably will again. Possible if I and drink enough of the uh, the blue agave tonight. cactus. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and next to her, a man who um, who found himself in the newspaper today. Uh, we may or may not get to that today. I but try hard not to go. Get in the <laughs> <newspaper>. <laughs> it was not under the crime blotter. Let's just be clear here. There was no uh, no arrests involved in this. Brad Clark, now former city councilor, now of Maple Leaf Strategies. Thanks for doing this. I, I have to tell you, I'm a little bit disappointed because your email message to me didn't say it was going to be a scintillating evening. It was titillating, which T- I oh, titill- must have did been. I say titillating? Yeah, I'm kind of thinking it was might might have been autocorrect or oh, something. That may have been. That must have been for the other. <laughs> so I was show. I was excited. This is going to be a good. That was show. the late night show <laughs> oh, that we're, we do. Yes, the adults only titillating show that comes on later. Um, yeah, stick around for that one. <laughs> oh boy, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, Scott. Well, Rodney I want to open Bill the show yeah. with. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, you know, I was listening today. Uh, for those who who listen to CHML throughout the day and I'm I know many of you do and I'm glad you do but I gotta tell you I, maybe you guys have experienced this Sandy you've been involved I mean you have kids you, and Brad you have kids um, there was a guest on a series a number uh, there was a band who was a guest on with Rick Zamperin who was filling in for Scott Thompson today uh, very very good I was listening to them sing on the show they're called The Medicine Hat they're playing at Super Crawl coming up and as I'm listening I heard the name and I immediately looked something up this band, two of the, well, the the one main one of the main people in the band, is the child of someone I went to school with, his yes. mom and dad, and I suddenly went, "What the heck just happened? Mm-hmm. What just <laughs> happened?" That uh, it was like a light flick, a switch was flicked, and I suddenly became old. Yes. All of a sudden, just listening to Rick's show. I mean, I thank Rick for doing that to me today, but um, I have grandchildren. They call me Papa because grandfather. Yeah, but not you allowed. started early. Well, yeah, you were like Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, it was totally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you I mean you're not you're not really old enough to have grandchildren. God bless just, you. <laughs> and I mean, and I'm Nan. And you're not old enough either. So it's, it's you know you both of you got an early start, which allowed you to have that. But man, I I heard that today, and I I, I when I checked on Facebook to see if the person with that because it's an unused Bershey was the last name, and I went, it's not a normal or at least it's not a usual a common name. And my goodness, well, all of a coached. sudden. What I've happens when you when you bump into a former player who is now twenty five. Last 30, weekend, last weekend, you know? I had to go run two errands, and the first place I stopped, a kid that I coached when he was seven, was serving me yep, at the one place, and then I went to Home Depot, and a kid I coached that same team was serving me. And again, it's like, what is going and they say, on, sir? <laughs> no, first or, off, or, I'm shocked when or Mr. Radley. <laughs> yeah, when they right. say Mr. Radley, I look around for my dad. Where, where's my dad? Is he behind me? So not only are you old, you're kind of uncool now, too. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, let me ask you, this, we weren't going to talk about this, but let me ask you this, because when there was a time when kids, even when they became young adults, would call you Mr. Clark or Ms. Shaw or Mrs. Mm-hmm. Shaw, whatever it is, I, do we do that now? Because I find that now the people who are our generation of of adults, they call us by our first name. And that's not something we discourage. I mean, it's not like we're going, wow, you call us our first name, you little brat. That's not, no, it's it's more comfortable. I don't know. I mean, I, do, I say, Mr. That's my dad's name. Yeah. I'm Brad. <laughs> but but do they, I mean, Sandy, no. the kids, that do they call you Ms. Shaw no, still? No, no one calls me that. But they call I, you Sandy. up until recently, I called my um, mother-in-law Mrs. Wilson. I actually just called her that. And I liked it, though. There's something about it I found kind of charming and endearing. But British. it was a, it was a British, <laughs> but it was another generation. And it had nothing to do with the nature of the relationship that wasn't, you know, a stiff, stuffy relationship. But there was some level of respect as well that I liked about it. But, but, that's, but I'm saying that's that was the generation right. just before yes. us that we still did Absolutely. it, and right. we seem to completely, or not completely, but largely abandon that, and we go by our first names. Right. And kids don't call us. They, I mean, if it's someone who really doesn't know you, they might mm-hmm. do uh, that. I bump into many seniors, and they will call me Mr. Clark, right? Because that's what they were brought up with. That's how, unless you're on a personal first name basis, it's Mister. It's um. 
it, it's it's just very weird to me. It's very weird how how that has. Changed. Just, it's very weird that someone's calling you Mister. Or if you're yeah, weird. he's not well, well, over that yet. But both, but all, but well, yes, it's it's very weird that, that I'm at the age now where that is uh, where that's happening. But it's funny. The only place where they sort of enforce that rules in schools still, kids have yes. to call their teachers. Right. Well, have you have you? This is a weird one because even though we've changed into this calling each other by our first names, have any of you bumped into a teacher you had now that you are a, right. a, a grown adult, you're whatever age? I won't say any ages. And everyone else we now call by their. First, you get to a certain age, you call everyone, even if you know. At my age, I might call someone who's seventy now by their first name because. But for some reason, you see a teacher you had. Janice Brown taught me uh, gym and gymnastics. I know Janice Brown. She's um, awesome. And what do you what would you I, call her? When I, you I see called her Ms. Brown. Ms. Brown, exactly. <laughs> and then it sounds very awkward to well, call them it, by the real Eventually, it became Janice because we we're friends now. But I mean, it was it was it's funny bumping into to former teachers. You had an really awesome is. teacher. Oh, it was great. Ms. Brown. But that's but, an awesome. And then one. people say, so you've called your teacher, you know, say you've called your teacher Mr. You know, Johnson all these years, and, he, and then you bump in later and says, oh, just call me Reg, or whatever the name is. You can't do it. No, I can't call that's, you by that's your That's what name. I mean. It's it a, feels, teachers are a weird one. You, right. It's really hard to wrap your tongue around a teacher being right. by their first name. I still have people call me minister, and I'm not a minister. Right. In any extent of the imagination, protocol I'm not there anymore, but they still, because that's what was drilled in their head. I was the minister. I was the minister, so they called me minister. Are there any, or this is not at all what we are going to talk about, but this is interesting. Are there any yeah. honorifics that are, you know, like if you're the former president, you're always in the States. You're yeah. always president. Yeah. Prime so minister so. is right Prime honorable minister. forever, and so you call him prime mayor? minister. Is mayor, he? you call yes. the mayor, mayor forever. You still get people calling me counselor, but it just seems to be a habit more than a protocol. Right. Yeah, it's... But provincially, it, the honorific doesn't extend over. The federally, so does. the ministers are not honorable. So when I sign something, <laughs> in, in name, <laughs> let me rephrase that, yeah. folks. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't tell your minister. Yeah. So your minister is honorable while they're in office, but once they're out of office, they don't have the the it, luxury. It away, yes. Yeah, exactly. It expires, so to speak. You're now dishonorable. <laughs> well, I tell you, I've got a couple teachers that I had in high school that are on that I've connected with through social media, and I cannot. Much as I've tried, it it just it, even typing it, it almost feels mm-hmm. awkward yep. to type their first I name. Agree. They are always Ms., Mr., Miss, Mrs., whatever it is. I don't know if I'll ever get over that, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I'll ever get over hearing Mr. Radley when someone, you know, if that's fine. I mean, if if they want to, you know, that's fine. If they want to be respectful that way, and in, under certain Sir Scott. Yeah, my initials. So, so if, that, if they're going to do that, uh, that would uh, that would work. But um, I, I go by my maiden name still, Shaw, and I was in the hospital for, and uh, my um, partner at the time, husband, was waiting for me in the waiting room, and they came out and they said, "Mr. Shaw, Mr. Shaw, they're calling to bring him in." And the nurse came back and said, "He's not out there." And I said, "Oh, he better be." But it was because they were calling him not by his last name, but my last name. So <laughs> it's a very. So I, had they just used his first name, you know, he would have responded. But Mr. Shaw, I don't know who. The name he's thing is very to. complicated. And here's the other thing: we all call each other by first names, but I'm, I know there must be people out there who still like the old school thing. And you know, let's use you as an example, Brad. That you let's say you were the one who liked kids to call you Mr. Clark as a sign of respect. So if all of a sudden someone just said, hey, Brad, and they were 20 years your junior, I'm not saying you would be this, but that person, then it's like, no, no, it's Mr. Clark. And it becomes very confusing. And there's a protocol thing, though. So if you're a teacher, um, Mr., Miss, Mrs. would be appropriate in the classroom, in the school environment, but out on the street, if you know them and they're your friend, then it might be Mary or Joe. Just like counselors in a, in a city council chambers, it would be counselor, and the the delegates would be Mister, Miss, Miss, whatever the last name is. But outside of there, again, you could resort back to a friendlier relationship. So the, sometimes it's just the protocol that that pops up too. But it's also weird that in high school it's Mister, Mrs., whatever. But in university, often they say call me by my first name. It's oh, all, but that's because professors are hippies. Cool. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, all left leaning hippies. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. There was a really interesting story this week that I, I, I've actually been very confused by. Speaking of things that we call each other that I am 
well, hopefully we don't call each other, but that I'm very confused by. And that is, I, you probably heard the story this week about Bill Maher on his TV show who uh-huh. dropped the N-word. Mm-hmm. Shame on him. And yes, I, and I agree with that. But I'm very puzzled by, he has seemed to slip through this thing fine. There's, he, his show is still there. He's still doing a show. He is, I mean, Ice Cube apparently is or was going to be on the show and is going to, quote, quote, take him to task. But I don't expect he's going to. He brought on a friendly voice to allegedly take him to task. There are other people who utter this word in whatever context and... Boom, they're done. Their career is, is finished. Michael Richards was, you know, yeah. the former uh, Kramer. He used to right. be on Seinfeld. I'm very puzzled by how we decide who is and isn't allowed to use this. And I'm not even talking right now about people in the African-American community. That's a whole other confusing issue in a lot of ways, even within that community, about whether people should use it. But how do we, d- how does it be determined that some people can get away with this and some people can't? And I'm not arguing that we should in any way. But some people clearly are able to skate around these kind of things. I, I honestly don't know. I've seen it happen, though. I mean, if Donald Trump had used that language, there would be hell to pay. Absolutely. As um, there should be. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and, and if Hillary and Clinton I, had done it, there yeah. would be as well, and, and, and as there just, should be. You know, and, and, and I think if I understand the story correct, he didn't just use the N-word. He said house N. Yes. And, and which is a, a, an incredibly pejorative term and brings back really bad history in terms of, of how African-Americans were treated when they were slaves and brought into to, to America. Um, so it, it is really staggering that it wasn't just the fact that he used the N-word, but that he was referencing um, a slave uh, frame of mind and referencing it to himself, which uh, yeah. boggles me. Uh, but they seem to just kind of gloss right over it because it was comedy. Well, so yeah, I don't understand it either. And he was referencing something that's kind of a hurtful period, not beyond hurtful. I mean, that's you know just a you know horrific period in history, and using it as a joke. Yep. And it's my feeling that if you're a comedian and you have to say, "Oh, it was a joke," it really it wasn't. wasn't. Funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't funny. And so the very fact that he felt, um, I would say, entitled or comfortable saying that, like those, even it's just something that you don't kind of, you don't mess around with that because of the hurt and the offense that can be taken. You know, it's you know, not everything is okay in the name of comedy, right? And so, I agree. But I, I also think that the reason he may be getting a pass on this, if he is, is that there's so much other. Uh, stuff that's happening that's gra- grabbing headlines. I think at this point, people are so shocked and outraged. There's the Kathy Griffith, Griffin, 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 yeah, and her picture of Trump, the beheaded picture of Trump. So I think the uh, the level of what we are shocked and horrified by it has is you know has gone astronomically high. Right? But if there had been a second person, I, I don't even know who the example would be. But if there had been another person, let, let's jimmy kimmel or jimmy fallon or i mean anybody Mm -hmm. that same night on tv who had used that in their show i can't believe that it would be as overlooked and i just i don't know what the inoculation is that some people have that it's okay we'll defend you on this Mm -hmm. one and in fact the thing that was most shocking to me or well not most shocking that was shocking to me about what the answer of this was hbo said and that's who's the program is on hbo so maybe because it's on cable, they feel like it's okay. But right. regardless, HBO said, well, our answer to this is in future airings, when we air reruns, we will just eliminate that part. Which basically what they're saying is, we're not going to say it's wrong. We're just going to expunge that part from history and it never happened. Which mm-hmm. is, But if it's not wrong, why would they expunge it? Right. Fair enough. But even then, if the answer is simply, well, if we just pretend something never happened, it can go away. Why cannot everybody just say, well, just ignore what I just said. Just ignore what I just said. I could Right now, I could throw that word out here on the air and then just say, oh, let's just pretend that last five seconds didn't happen. It doesn't work that way for no. anybody else. If it's, I don't, in this day and age, there's no forgetting. <laughs> Things that you said and did are out there forever. So there is no forgetting, and people will use what you said out of context and when you said it for whatever purposes. You know, and I don't know if I'm really addressing your question, but 
and I think there's got, and I'm still myself struggle. I also, when you said there's something happened that I'm confused about, and I thought, what could this possibly be that you're confused about? But I also am confused by it, and I'm struggling for a reason why he's really being treated so lightly, and on this offense, and it, maybe it's because of his, you know, in general, he's a left-leaning, progressive guy. He's got, you know, he says outrageous things. I mean, I think he called Sarah Palin a, he also got in trouble for calling Sarah Palin a word that we, you know, a terrible word. And, um, but I think it's because he's generally on our side. Maybe that's why he gets away with it. It's sort of like, well, I know you're not really a racist. So he's put enough into the bank of yeah, political it's a bit of correctness, or a whatever, bit of political, that, he's a con- that he can he's, withdraw one. I think that possibly is the case. And when you talked about Kramer, and I forget his actual name. Michael Richards. How could he, he, his, that, that, the spirit of that was very um, ugly. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't talking about this as just using a word. It was just, he used words in a, in a very ugly and de- demeaning context as well. And I think you may have just stumbled onto something, which is that politically, I guess some people are because they lean a certain way that they get away with it more because what, but, but does that mean then that the, uh, that the default position is if you are a small L liberal, automatically you must not be racist. Therefore, if you use racist terms, you didn't really mean it. Whereas if you're a small C conservative, by default, you must be racist and if you say it then this is a peek into the yeah. deepest would part hope, of your soul I would hope that that's not but is that case. not the impression we're getting from this it's yeah. one way of looking at it absolutely um, but I, I would hope that um, people in general um, understand that uh, racism still exists and that we have a long way to go to be accepting and we should be monitoring our own language and our own actions including Mr. Marr Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I don't understand how networks on one frame will punish a sportscaster for saying something that they believe was was uh, racially motivated, or an athlete, and and then another network or cable company will not. So there there does seem to be double standards, um, and I don't know exactly <laughs> how we fix it because there's no such thing as the thought police. Dare we suggest <laughs> that if your ratings are good enough that you are exempted from? I didn't want to be the cynic that way, nor did I want to talk about how much money he gets paid, but it's possible. If, right. you, if, you're, if your show is getting enough, is bringing in enough revenue, huh. pulling them off the air is going to cost them money. And look how long it went at Fox, you know, the Bill O'Reilly, how long it went before his outrageous behavior. And it was the oh. advertisers that caused him to, right. to lose his, right. his position but because that's they the started other pulling part. it. I, Brad, that's, that's the not other, happening. That's the other part of this story that I don't understand. Yeah. I haven't heard of any ad. Well, I haven't. I, I looked uh, today before I came on here and I have found no evidence of any advertiser who supports HBO in any way. Now, I know it's not, a, it's not an advertising, but they, there has to be connections with corporations. It's been the subject of talk radio in the U.S. But no one but seems nothing, to have taken a, a stand against nope. this thing. I, I, I just I don't understand it because I can guarantee you I mean I can guarantee you one thousand percent that if I use that word on this show that would be it and right. and and appropriately so I mean mm-hmm. I, maybe there is a scenario or a context in which somebody on the air here could use it but I can't think of it no. maybe there is I don't want to say it's impossible that there could be a situation but I can't think of what that might be mm-hmm. and certainly not in a flippant let me see if I can get a laugh context with it. Uh, that, 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 I just, I, the whole problem with this is, this is one of those words, and there's not many of them, but this is one of those words we're trying to eliminate. And every time this happens, I think it muddies the water and confuses, if it confuses us, imagine what it does to a 13 or a 14-year-old kid who mm-hmm. listens to hip-hop music or listens to rap music and hears that word being used and goes, well, maybe it's okay. Right. And then hears about another guy who right. does it, a white guy on a right. show who does it. And, well, it seems to be okay for him. It, it just so muddies the waters for what's acceptable. Oh, it's true. And, and the fact that it's in this uh, this whole context of comedy. You know, and I can imagine people asking, are they laughing you know, with us mm. or at us in this regard, because the the sense of entitlement and the confidence with which he would said that that's what I'm shocked by. The privilege, maybe that privilege comes from being, 
you know, a, a, a you know, well-heeled white guy, you know, or maybe it comes from being his celebrity status or whatever it is. But just the fact that, like, it, it wasn't like it was like, oops, I didn't mean to say that. It was actually he, you know, he, I'm sure. Oh he, yeah, he thought it was. He thought it was going to be okay. If that had been a word that you saw slip out of his mouth and immediately he panicked and went. I am so desperately sorry. Yes. I, that that word, I don't know how that popped out. But he just out, let it hang there like it was funny. It was supposed to be a joke, and it was intentional. It was clearly intentional. And I, I have – listen, I that word – in other words, because they are in the vernacular still, we do hear them from time to time. And if someone were – if that was to slip out accidentally from somebody and their immediate reaction was horror that it mm-hmm. came out – I would have probably a lot of forgiveness for that person if it was clear that that was just a horrific thing they didn't mean to say. But to let it just sit there and think it was going to be a great punchline. It's like the difference between a misdemeanor and a hanging offense, right? You just made a mistake or you did it intentionally, It's kind of a sense of entitlement that he can say whatever he wants. It's crazy. It's privilege, entitlement and privilege. He's the comedian. And I've had discussions with comics, and and they really believe that it's the last bastion of free speech and that there is nothing that a comic cannot say under the guise of being funny. You know what though, and we got to go to break. But I'll tell you something. We were just away on a trip, and there was a uh, we were on a ship, and, a, and there was a comedian there who prided himself. One of his like things was that he was family friendly, and I got to tell you, he was hysterical. His name was Miguel Washington. I'll throw it out there because he was really funny. Didn't need to be dropping f bombs in. Didn't need. And I'm looking, going, wait a second. If you can do this, right. To me, then, those who need it, and I, okay, fine, some people, but it, it seems like it's a crutch for a lot of or, other people. It's just or, being lazy. Oh, you took the words out of my mouth, lazy. It's just a lazy way. It's, it's shock it's, comedy. Shock co- yeah, but exactly. I agree with the idea that comics, in a lot of ways, are being drummed down by the drumbeat of political correctness, that people get s- easily offended about stuff they shouldn't. But this word doesn't, to me, fall into that, well, look what they're doing to stop us from speaking. This is, yeah. this is an Or the context of how we use the word. I agree. It's the context it's as well. It's really like a no, unless you've been living under a rock for the last hundred years, Just it's don't like go a no-go zone. Yeah. And the editors, the, the, the cable network, they allowed him to do it. Because they do have editors and censors, and I don't think I don't really? know if I don't know if the show is live. I don't think it is. But <clears> even <throat> if it, as far as I know, they didn't even beep it out. They let it ride yep. through. Yep. The, which again is what are they anyway? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. In studio with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio, Brad Clark and Sandy Shaw, and. There was a vote. Um, well, you—I mean, you're a former MPP, so this is right up your uh, right up your alley. This happened uh, in Ontario, and it's—I'm troubled by this vote that happened. It was a uh, motion that was brought forward to provide physicians, doctors in this province, a conscientious protection, conscience protection against helping with euthanasia, with assisted suicide, or if you are truly against. This, if you believe that your Hippocratic oath or your morality or your beliefs, your faith, whatever, uh, uh, doesn't allow you or precludes you from being involved in killing people, it would have allowed you to not have to direct a patient to someone who will kill them. They can go and look for the person themselves. And then this was voted down in the province of Ontario, which means that as I read this, if I am a doctor in Ontario, at some point, if a patient of mine says, I would like to explore assisted suicide, I am going to be obligated, regardless of my beliefs, my faith, my tightly held morality, whatever else, I am going to be required to help that person be killed by someone else. Is that? Do you have a problem with that, or is that just me that looks at that and says, that, that to me starts to get into some dangerous territory? Yeah, there are subtleties involved mm-hmm. here. So if a doctor... Um, is a conscious objector to assisted suicide and refuses to participate in the program as in a hands-on as a hands-on role because of their faith or because of their belief in 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 their oath which is becomes a little bit of a legal question because the government has said this is what is what your oath is now and the OMA has agreed and et cetera et cetera 
Um, I could understand that. But if the question, and it would appear that the, the resolution was to the effect that some doctors didn't want to refer people out to uh, doctors who were willing to participate in the assisted suicide or assisted euthanasia, um, I don't think there's a legal leg, leg for them to stand on in that regard. It's a referral to someone who will openly discuss the matter with a patient and make that decision. Um, it would be different if they were being told by the government that you had to provide counsel and you had to provide um, uh, the, the, the actual method for, for the euthanasia. Yeah, it's a, it's there's very there are a lot of subtleties and there's a lot of moving parts to this. I mean, it's the individual health practitioner, the doctors, um, their their uh, charter rights as well. I mean, and that's partly what it was talking about, but it's also uh, impacts really on um, the slippery slope of what do you choose to do and not do under a guise of your your either religion or your ethics, and so. I mean, we're talking about assisted suicide, but it has been when we talked about um, abortion or we've talked about other, uh, uh, there's there's other, I mean, even if you look at Seventh-day Adventists that that don't, you know, support blood transfusion. So what we're talking about is protecting the rights of individual doctors and healthcare practitioners against the right, uh, you know, sort of the right of citizenship of every uh, person to to get um, an equal level of health care. So, you know, it's complicated, right? It is a complicated, it's very complicated. I- issue. But well, the Health Care Act in Ontario and in Canada, um, the government articulates what services are provided. So now um, uh, assisted euthanasia is a prescribed treatment, which is a, a strange an odd word. way to say it. Yes. Yeah. But, but I'm just, I mean, realistically, legally, that's what it is. Um, and... If a doctor refuses to do it because of their interpretation of their oath, and yet the government is not interpreting their oath in that manner, it's a legal issue. Right. Um, it's different. Uh, I mean, many doctors are, um, argue that they have a conscientious objection and they won't, be, won't refer people for abortions. Um, there are Catholic hospitals who won't do abortions. Um, and, and that seems to abide by the constitutional right that they have to to practice their faith. In this case, it's a little bit different. It's a referral to someone right. who will do that service. Right. And to say that you won't do it because you don't believe in it, well, you may not believe in back surgery, but if someone has a chronic right. back condition right. and needs to see an orthopedic surgeon, then you have to refer them to that The person. difference, I suppose, is that if you were someone who was looking after someone because of their back problem, you have gone to medical school to treat mm-hmm. backs. I don't think there's a doctor in Ontario. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if, if you, if you, he or she is out there, please call us. But I don't think there's a doctor out there who went to school specifically to be the euthanizer. I don't think the person with the big black hood. Uh, no, but they, there are doctors who went to school and are specialists in palliative yeah. care. Yes, yes. Which is the treatment of a terminal condition whereby they are going to die and how to provide that death with dignity and provide them the spirituality, provide them the pain management, mm-hmm. make sure that they're not suffering. That's what palliative care is. Um, so there are specialties involved here. Uh, and, and, and the reality is no matter how you slice it, th- th- there needs to be two doctors that confer, that make the decision that, yes, this assisted um, euthanasia can occur. Um, and if doctors begin refusing to refer patients to doctors who will do it, the entire system could crumble. And and I think the government, because the court ordered them to say this is, is a reasonable action, uh, they have to make sure that the treatments are available. Do you believe, either of you, do you believe that we could face a situation where if given the freedom to not um, refer, that all doctors would say, or that a vast majority of doctors would say, no, no, I'm not going to be part of this. See, I think it's the other way around. I think most doctors would say, I'll refer you to someone. And so if that's the case, why could we not have a situation where those few who really say, I just cannot in my conscience even refer someone, there are nurses, there are nurse practitioners, there are other people who could speak to the person in their bed and refer it. It's the thin edge of the wedge. Yes, it's the thin edge of the wedge. And so if you, you refuse to refer someone who actually needs a specialist um, because you don't, well, you don't believe in psychiatry. 
Right. Would you do that? I mean, so a doctor who happens to be a Scientologist, would they? Re- I'm not referring you to a psychiatrist. I don't know any doctors who are Scientologists, but I'm saying that there there is um, valid concern from the government that if referrals are not going to happen, or that people can start arguing, well, they're not referring, so I'm not referring, that it starts to collapse the system. And this government has had a, mm-hmm. a real challenge with doctors because they've been picking at the doctors for eight years now, 14 years, um, and trying to convince everyone that they are high-paid employees of the province, when in fact they're a profession and they're not high-paid employees. They have OHIP billings and they pay for their own employees. They're in office. And, and, and so they're frustrated by how the government is trying to define their roles. And I can see that that may be playing a role um, in the pushback on some of these things. I mean, it just seems to I So I agree with you. By the way, Brad, you are very scintillating in, the, you know, in one of the brightest pan, panels tonight. Because, Damn, I was going no, for very. Okay, <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. But um, you, so you are very articulate on this issue. And, but, the, but to me, it just seems like this is a reasonable balance, what, what they're proposing, the, the, yes. the, that you don't have to uh, perform the procedure, but that you do have to refer. To me, that's a reasonable balance. And I, it makes me, um, I guess, suspicious is the word, that why is this not actually enough for people that want, you know, don't even want to have to uh, you know, even refer? Why, what is that, that about their belief system or their religion that is so... Um, uh, uh, Rigid? Rigid, that they can't see that this Well, if you believe that killing people is wrong, period. Right. If I, you believe that, that, that causing a someone's right. death is wrong, period, then injecting the person or putting them on a, in a car to go to someone right. who is you've going set, to kill them. you set the them, process in motion. you set the process in motion. And so, again, I, I, I understand what Brad is saying about the fact that you, you, it's a slippery slope. At the same time... I really think this is a very this and abortion because it's both about conscience of killing something. I really think it's unique compared to other lines of medicine because it's the, the courts, only where it's the only courts place have interesting opinions on it. It's mm-hmm. one thing to argue that you have a religious belief and therefore you can be a conscious objector to this particular process. It's another thing to state that you're not religious, but you have a conscious objection to this. There are non-religious people who are against the death penalty. But the courts argue constitutionally you have a right to your religion. But if you're now an employee of the government of Ontario and, and this is their program, you don't have a right as an employee to say, I'm not going to do that. And so this is why it gets very complicated very quickly. And I'm not arguing one way or the other. I'm just saying that this issue is very complicated. And sometimes politicians also also have their own agendas in pushing forth resolutions of this matter, um, especially a year out from an election. Yeah, it's true. Not that it's silly season. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on. We we may or may not get to it today. All the things that are being put out there that uh, I wouldn't. Well, I have, so I can't say I wouldn't. I was going to say sarcastically that I wouldn't ever suggest or to buy votes, but, you know. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Either of you guys know who Sam Panopoulos was? He died yesterday. Any idea who Sam Panopoulos was? I'm sorry, I do not know. Let me turn your microphone on. I'm sorry, I do not know. Sam Panopoulos found himself at the center of a massive argument about a year ago when the president of Iceland declared that his invention was disgusting. Yes, Sam Panopoulos was the Canadian who invented Hawaiian yeah. pizza, who died, yeah. and the mayor of Iceland said, putting pineapple on pizza is wrong and we should outlaw this. And buy. We're talking about whether you should be forced to offer suicide for people. Right. The mayor of Iceland said, we should be allowed to ban pineapple on pizza. Uh, we've only got a minute or two left. Yes or no to pineapple on pizza? Anti-pineapple? Really? Oh, yeah. I love pineapple. See, I'm with you, Brad. It's awesome. On pizza. And on a pizza, it's the best. On pi- oh, yeah. Oh. The sweet, the savory. Are you kidding? It's fantastic. Heathens. Throw some roasted garlic in. Oh, I'm dying for it. Can't do it. I, I, I think that Sam... See, I'm of the opinion that Sam Panopoulos should be getting some Sam sort of... Sam should be a saint. It's a state funeral. <laughs> His coffin should be covered in little pieces of pineapple and ham. We'll have to call the Pope. Well, I don't know if the Pope, maybe the Pope's a fan of Hawaiian pizza. I don't know. We've never asked him. 
Saint uh, Sam. If we, if we can get the Pope on the show, we'll ask him. That'll be the Saint first pineapple pizza. That'll be the first question. <laughs> we'll be the only Canadian radio show that gets an interview with the Pope. And our I'll first question will be: Do you like Hawaiian pizza? Uh, the only Click. Good, <laughs> the only good thing about pe- pi- uh, the Hawaiian pizza is that the pineapple slices are really easy to flick right off across the room. If you, if oh, you just take your slice, you're one of those, are you? Yeah. Flick it right across the room. Is there any? As we go to break here, okay. The pineapple. You like to flick the pineapple. Yes. Is there any place in the world that still puts anchovies on pizza? Oh, yeah. Is there? Because that seemed like a thing, and then everybody hated anchovies. Have you anchovies. tried it? Last time I saw anchovies on pizza, I was about nine years old. We were at a hockey tournament in North Bay, and we were in a hotel room, and someone ordered pizza with anchovies, and we did what you just did. We flung them all over, and the next <laughs> well, morning- the juice of the anchovies is already all over uh, that I pizza, know, and but it's delicious. The next morning, we that. woke up, and it looked like there were eyebrows all over the wall. <laughs> you get that salty sea oh. flavor on your pizza. I'm pro anchovy on pizza. Are you now? You're pro yes, anchovy. Yes. Anti pineapple, pro anchovy. Okay, you're a dichotomy. That means you're weird. <laughs> could, you, could you mix anchovies and pineapple? Absolutely. Oh, Savory, God. sugar, absolutely. See that one may be pushing the bounds of what I could do. I don't know. I'm I'm willing to take risks. I eat frogs legs occasionally. I'm okay to take chances on stuff. I eat escargot. I love it, but yep. I don't know. How about escargot on pizza? See that would be okay as long as it's just slathered I've in had garlic seafood butter. Pizza, it's mm. amazing. Yes. This is kind of a cruel segment because we have an hour and a half to go and there's no food anywhere near the studio. Yes, I know. I know. I should have waited till the end for this one. <laughs> You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. We discussed this on the show earlier in this week. I had a guest on to talk about it. And in The Spectator, there were dueling op-ed pieces. Earlier this week, there was a piece from a former teacher talking about whether standardized testing and EQAO testing that students do is a good idea. And then he argued, no, that it was kind of ridiculous and didn't really help anything and didn't make anything better. And then there was a piece in The Spectator, I believe, today, yesterday or today, arguing, yes, standardized testing is a terrific way to monitor whether students are learning what they're supposed to learn. And it's a really great thing that we do this because it makes all the schools get better. Now, Brad, I'll go to you first on this one, only because you were probably were you this you were not in mm. in Queens Park when this thing passed. I don't think were you, or were you uh, in the opposition when um, when EQAO came was, in? I, I don't recall EQ, EQ. I can't even pronounce it. So yes. how can I take the That'll test? That'll be the first question. EQAO. Spell <laughs> can you EQAO? spell EQAO? <laughs> if you can't, you fail immediately. Um, I recall. Uh, the debates about it, um, and they're, you're correct. I, I mean, it's a pretty clear split down the middle in terms of whether or not they believe that the tests are are um, really do, do anything. I mean, it's uh, it is interesting though. I was out at Staples uh, just two days ago, and I pointed out to to my wife Linda that they had the EQAO packages oh, for dear. parents to buy to teach their kids how to pass the test. Now, in that vein, I think that if that's the case, the tests are failing because the tests were supposed to be about making sure that the curriculum is working and how the curriculum is getting through to the children. But if it's real and what teachers are telling us is that they're teaching to the test. As just, opposed to the curriculum. We want you to pass to, the correct, test. Correct. Um, then at that point in time, it's now become a farce. Because here, here's my problem with the test, and I don't mind standardized testing. I said this earlier this <laughs> week when we were doing this. I don't mind standardized testing under two circumstances, under two things. One is it should be like a drug test for a baseball player or a track athlete or something where they show up at your school spontaneously Mm -hmm. without warning and they say everyone who's in class today is writing this test and we're going to do it on what you should know. That to me is a useful standardized test. Well, if the curriculum is standardized across the system, then grade three children should be taught exactly what's in the curriculum and tested on the curriculum. And if it's a standardized curriculum, then logic would dictate there should be standardized tests. I'm not sure whether or not an EQAO, which is a broad-based test for the entire, you know, their mindset for the last three years, the last six years, um, whether or not that is an, an appropriate way to prove that they're learning. It's more valid to prove that they're learning throughout their year and then the following year, they have the review and continue. Yeah. No, I, I look, I, I, 
That's there, the progressive conservative. No, but there is a. I, I think there is a progressive part. Yeah, that's right. No, I think there's a reasonable expectation, though. Let's say because kids take it in grade three and six. Three and six. And six? Yes, okay, that's correct. So after you, let's say you graduate from grade five. I think it's reasonable to say kids who graduate from grade five should be able to do X, Y, and Z. That those are those are the basic things that you should be you should be able to divide double numbers or multiply double numbers or whatever. And so if early in the grade six year, in September or October, somebody dropped by the school that day and said, we're testing on the basic things that you should be able to do, that to me makes an awful lot of sense, actually, to see, let's make sure that those kids know what they were supposed to already have by the time they finished the year before. If there's a follow-up. Right. If they do, if, if they find out that, you know, you know 60% of them are, are passing... Uh, then what do they do after that? Do they do a review? Do they educate the, the children one so more time? So you mean time? if they don't do well? So if they don't what do, are we do well, do what yeah, do they do to fix it? So it's if it's so just, what? okay, well, we know, oh, geez, they didn't pass. Yeah. And this becomes a statistic that is circulated around the province. They compare right. schools to schools. That's a big one. I don't like um, that. Th- then that, I, I think that is a failure. If the school board is saying, okay, any of the, the children who don't pass this test or don't meet the standard, then they have to have some remedial work to make sure that when they get into grade 7 and grade 8 and then move on to high school, they're prepared. I think that makes complete sense to that me. That does make sense, doesn't it? Makes it makes a lot of sense. But guess what? They've just spent millions and millions and millions on these tests, and there is absolutely no resources left to provide no those kinds of teaching. So I think that's one of the major criticisms that comes not from all sectors, parents, but teachers and teachers' unions are saying that this is the test in itself has become a bit of a, a monster. And you said it earlier, I mean, they teach to the test. It's not just about the sake of teaching and that the time that it takes to administer the test, the cost of the test, all of that could be put into additional resources. It, you know, the provincial liberal government still has the opportunity to, to, to look at that and say, you know what, we need additional resources. We, ha- we could reduce classroom sizes. We could support teachers. We could go back to having after-school uh, extracurricular activities that there's no funding for, but still they're hung up on this test. And make no doubt about it, that testing is a big business, right? There's a big well, business Well, look at the yeah, SATs and the LSATs that are, are American, and in Canada we have them also. Um, and university students go and buy these 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 packages and prepare for the test. Here's the types of questions that are going to be asked. But if adults are being encouraged to go to Staples or to a bookstore and purchase EQAO packages to help your child pass this skews test, the numbers. then it skews the numbers and it, and it begs the question, how are we actually ver- validating that the curriculum is being taught successfully. But Sandy, let me go to your point for a second. Because let's okay, let's say again we use the example. You finish grade five and you should know this, whatever that is. I can't remember. I don't know what at this point in our time you're expected to know in grade five. But let's say okay, you get into now grade six, and in October, Sandy Shaw, who's the EQAO administrator for the region, shows up at the school unannounced and says, "Today's the day." And 60% of the kids in the class cannot do the stuff that is the bare minimum that you're supposed to be able to do. Well, I agree with you that there may not be the resources, but surely then the, it would be better for the teacher who's in that school to say, we're not then going to press ahead with the stuff that we are supposed to be doing in grade six. We're going to make sure that the stuff that we... Let's not just continue to shove kids through without knowing mm-hmm. it. Even if they're a little bit behind, let's at least make sure they understand what the heck they're doing. And but that's the part that's missing to me It is completely. This. And I don't think that teachers, individual schools, or even school boards have that flexibility. They they teach to the curriculum. I mean, that's what their expectations are from the, you know, from the provincial government. And so I think what you're saying is actually reasonable, but it this, it does, there's so many parts of this is, is unreasonable that it is about you didn't, you know, you didn't, you t- test the, the schools, and as just as Brad was saying, at the end of it is, so what? So what do we do with this information now? And if, if part of it is f- to go back to the, the Ministry of Education to say, you know, we need, th- the results are showing that we're not, you know, achieving the results in the curriculum as you have prescribed, what, what is the remedy? Like, what is the remedy? Is the remedy that we need more resources? Is it the remedy that the curriculum is inappropriate or it's not, you know, the way we're teaching it? So I just really don't see, the as you described, the follow-up to this. And they're really, in all of this, 
there's no they won't they won't even entertain the discussion that in fact the money spent on these universal tests could be redirected to some of the needs that we know we have. I mean, we have schools uh, closing all over the place. I mean, we look at the school closures, you know, in Hamilton, look at Dundas, Ancaster, look facing Big another round. Big discussion about Burlington with Bateman. Right. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it, that's bums and seats. That's the yeah. capacity and that's, issue. And that's their funding yeah. formula. That's correct. But they're inflexible about their funding formula. And they're in inflexible this, about EQAO. They just look, say no. They're not going to change. Look at you and I just agreeing all oh over the place. But there's one other thing that left and the right. Of just <laughs> one other thing that's very inflexible these days. From everything I've heard from teachers who I've talked to, and I, I've talked to many teachers about this, they are not allowed, except in the most egregious, unbelievable circumstances, to hold a kid back. You're not supposed to fail. Once upon a time, you could fail a kid who who didn't pass that year and couldn't move on. Now. Kids just you push them through, push them through, push them through, and so that and and so now you end up with that mixed with the fact that the EQAO tests too often. I think once the results come out, these are the teachers at the schools that do poorly are now under huge amounts of pressure. Right. How did your school do so badly, Brad? I mean, you're you're a teacher, and the kids at your school did miserably. Well, maybe. And this is what we talked about earlier this week on the show. Maybe you teach at an inner city Hamilton school where kids aren't fed. Or maybe you're in an area where you've got a lot of first generation Canadians, immigrants who don't speak English very well. Or maybe the other side, maybe you're in a class in the suburbs or in the northern regions where you've got 10 kids. And so there's lots of one-on-one time. So the results are going to be great. I don't think it's a apples and oranges discussion here. Or it's apples very and apples. difficult for a student to catch up. Right. I, I recall in grade nine math for myself, I was Hill Park Secondary School. Excellent teacher. I had 90% in, mm. in, in grade 9 math. The following year, I took grade 10 calculus, 55%. I didn't understand it. And uh, I went to the teacher many, many times. Never did quite grasp it. I'm not sure whether or not it was the teacher or not. But the following year, I was way behind in math because I never grasped the grade 10 curriculum. You don't have the foundation. If you don't have that foundation, the, the children are in trouble. So... Uh, I mean, instead of arguing about whether or not the test works, I would suggest that the larger question is, are they helping the students who didn't pass the test, who didn't meet the standard, and what are they doing about that? Right. What are you doing about the results as opposed to just looking at the results and slamming You don't get rid of the test saying it's not working. Let's make sure that the data that we're getting, we're working on the data trying to repair it by fixing the, the curriculum or helping the students. We've got to go to a break, right. but just before we do, Sandy, would you have a problem? Now, we're all parents in this room. If your kid truly was behind because for whatever reason they, as Brad just described, for grade 10, grade 10 calculus, didn't understand. If your kid was in grade 5 and you could tell they weren't reading properly, they weren't, would you have a problem if your kid was kept back for a year? You know, it's a blanket question, so I would say no, but as long as it was handled well. I think the only reason that you don't want kids to be held back is not because of their because it's it makes sense for their academic performance, and it, every kid matures and grows at different times, but it's as long as it was, it's the social sure. um, implication for the kids. So, you know, as long as it was managed well, I mean, I can only speak for my kids, and I know that they have, they would have a, had a loving, supporting home that would help them move through that. Not all kids that are held back have that, so they just get the stigma of having failed. I mean, we flunked, right? We all know kids have flunked, right? And so I think that as long as the school not only provides the the you know the academic support, but they understand that the implications it could have for the kids' social you know uh, feeling of, of uh, belonging, right? I would want to know what they were going to do for my child. Yeah, exactly. to fix it. Don't just hold them back. It's not I, just a question of holding them back. And if they don't want to hold them back, I'd still want to know that they could have held right. my child back. And I want to know how they're going to provide extra help to make sure that my child succeeds. I'll do my part. But I want to know what the, the, the program is going to be. How are they going to assist my child where he's, he or her is lacking? I've coached and been around enough kids' sports that I really believe that a lot of this thing about kids being held back comes from a lot of parents. Because, Sandy, let's say you were the teacher or the principal and you went to Brad, and Brad was the... When we see these people around sports fields and around dance clubs and around other places, and you go... Brad, I'm sorry, you know, we really think it's better for mm -hmm. your child to do another year of grade whatever because there be 
I, I bet they've pardon. seen a lot of yeah. parents who will say, are you out of your... Right. No, my kid is better than that. It's you as an idiot co- uh, parent or as an idiot teacher. Oh, there's no didn't. doubt that teachers are bullied by parents. And so they've <laughs> just. I think they've just come to the conclusion, let's just take that out of the equation. We don't even need to deal with that mm-hmm. anymore. If a, parent's got, if a parent's got a problem, let them come to us and sort it out rather than us walking into this. And, and, and I, think it's, I, I don't think it's a great situation. I think there's a lot of kids who should probably... I, I, you know what? I think there's a lot of kids, frankly, we could have for one year, probably thousands of kids that would wait one year altogether well, across the province the just to catch up. Exactly. So because you can be in the same grade, grade one, and there's almost a year difference between kids. Sure, you born know? on January 1st right. or December 31st. The, and so that makes a big difference in kids' development. But they, they don't, there doesn't seem to be that fluidity in the system. You're in grade one, you're in grade two, you're in grade three, and, and even around the curriculum. And so if you, even if you are held, uh, the curriculum, like rust never sleeps, you know, as Neil Young says, and the curriculum never stops. So it's just so they can't catch up, like you're saying. So... There's How no many kids in college and university have to take remedial English? Right. Because they're not prepped. 1981, I went into broadcasting. 40% of the class that I was with had to take a remedial English class because they couldn't write reports. Why? That's a little frightening, but it's true. Uh, we've, we've had a professor on here who I can't remember his name now. I can find it, but he, was, he talked about that very thing, about how he has marked papers that are essentially not even English. And these are university papers. And he is like, how in the world are these people coming out of high school this <laughs> ill-prepared yeah. for university? But if they're not held back and they're pushed forward and they're not held back and they're pushed forward, then by the time they get to high school right. and on to Mohawk College or university, they're in a situation yeah. where they really have not grasped the basics of grammar and writing That's or right. math, and they can't do it. But then his other point was, he says, you would not believe. I, I, one of these days, we're going to replay this interview. I'm going to find it because it was it was so fascinating. You would not believe how I'm in university. I am a university professor with tenure teaching university courses. You would not believe how many parents are calling me saying the mark you gave Johnny is not fair. He deserves more than that. Yeah, that's a generational thing. I understand that. But this is what's pushing. This Mm -hmm. is why we're not allowing kids to be held back or to fix it because we don't want our kid to look like the bad or the quote, quote, dumb kid who failed or flunked. So we'd rather have them move along so we have a good look for our kid. And then, but when we pop them out the final end and they're into the world, you're like, well, wait a second, what just happened here? Uh, you know what? It starts at the hockey rink when they don't want to run up the scoreboard. Like they just stop counting goals at some point, you know? It happens everywhere in society, but sports certainly is one of those great places where you can see it manifested very publicly a lot of the time. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. July 1st is coming up, and there's always on July 1st, we always see stories of immigrants to the country who take their citizenship test and get to be made, on, I mean, not honorary, get to be made Canadian citizens. So I thought, who better than a former city councillor and MPP and a former woman of distinction to do the mm-hmm. 10, what was identified on a website that I found of the 10 hardest questions. You moved the monitor just in yeah, case yeah, I just, was cheating. Yeah. Did you see that? I yeah. did. What? I saw him looking what over. How good do you think my vision is? I'm 56. So these are, now they're multiple choice, and these are actual, apparently, actual questions from the citizenship test that you would have to take. And I'm going to see, and you guys can work together, all right? You're not individual here. You are a team. I was going to say, what is? First question, what is the name of our governor general? Is it David Johnston, Elizabeth May, Dalton McGinty, or Mikhail Jean? That's easy. A. David mm-hmm. Johnson. Yeah. David Johnson. You're absolutely correct. David Johnson. See how easy this is? Who is Canada's head of state? The Governor General of Canada, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, the Prime Minister, or the Lieutenant Governor? Her Majesty the Queen. Absolutely correct. Two for two. See? You guys are good at this. I helped I didn't, you on I that He one. helped me on that one. <laughs> okay, here's, the, here's one that may be trickier. I think for no, I think for some people this one would be a tricky one because unless you've been paying attention in history class, you may not have caught up on this one. In the 1960s, Quebec experienced an era of rapid change. What is this called? Was it the West Movement, the Revolution, the Quiet Revolution, or La Francophone, Francophonie? Quiet Revolution. 
I, I, have no, I, I was sleeping through history. That was Duplessis, post-Duplessis. That's era. correct, the Quiet Revolution. You are three for three. And throwing in Duplessis, I should almost give you bonus I marks because so. that is correct. That covers the fact I didn't know the queen was the head of the state. <laughs> How many? I knew she was important. Well, yeah, she, she, <laughs> she's on the money. She yeah, must count she, for something, for now, anyway. Right. Are we going to take her off when we put on, um, who's, who's uh, uh, who are we putting on there it's now? It's not one of the questions. Yeah, so sorry, I'm getting yeah. off track. How many electoral <laughs> districts are there in Canada? 20? 338, 178, or 59? 338. Yeah. 338 is correct. Four for four. See? See how easy it is to become a Canadian? But you guys are really smart, so that probably throws off the, the balance here. We Which, are the brightest oh, panel. Yeah. You are. Absolutely. I wouldn't ask this of the least bright panel in Hamilton Radio. Which provinces first formed confederation? Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland. Ontario, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Alberta. Ontario, Quebec, Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and the province of Canada. Which one of those was... Can you repeat? That's a trick Number question. Number three. On, uh, Ontario, Quebec, Prince Edward Island, and Nova Scotia. Ontario, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Alberta. Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland. No. Or Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and the province of Canada. I'm going to go with number three. It's definitely not Newfoundland because it was Joey Smallwood and they didn't come until 1949. If you go to Newfoundland, they still don't think they're part of Canada, which I can sort of empathize with. Don't go there. Yeah. So let's say number three, although, you know what, it's been number three twice in a row. So statistically, that usually switch it up. But I'm going to – would you hate me if I just be – You go for it. I'm going to say number three. Correct. Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. That is correct. The five regions of Canada – Midwest, North, South, East, and Central, Maritimes, Ontario, Quebec, Prairies, and British Columbia, Atlantic, Central, Prairie, West Coast, and North, or West, Central, East, Prairies, and Territories. Oh. Say that last one. Mm -hmm. West, Central, East, Prairies, and Territories, Atlantic, Central, Prairie, West Coast, and North. I'm inclined to go with the last one. Maritimes, Ontario, Quebec, Prairies, and British Columbia, or Midwest, North, South, East, and Central? The well, official regions. I think the one with regions. the territories. Are we leaning towards the one with yep. the territories? Incorrect. That is your first wrong. Atlantic, Central, Prairie, West Coast, and North. There is no official region named East in the country. I told you, Brad. I said that was wrong. (laughs) All right. If you get this one wrong. queen. (laughs) Okay. So before you answer this one. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. I'll let you answer this one right. What is the name of the anthem of Canada? Oh, Canada, God Save the Queen, Bud the Spud, or the Star Spangled Banner? You don't have to answer that one. I know you know the answer. But I was thinking to myself, what is Bud the Spud? Here is Bud the Spud. Oh, it's Bud the Spud from the bright red mud, rolling down a highway, smiling. The Spuds are big on the back of Bud's rig. They're from Prince Edward Island. They're from Prince Edward Island. Yeah, a little stomping Tom. Tom. Not the official national anthem, however. Maybe someday. Or he could be head of state. It could be, yes. Or maybe, <laughs> maybe in the Maritimes or the East, he would be. All right. What do you mark on a federal election ballot? The candidate's name, the number for the candidate, an X or the voter's name? I you mark this, an X beside yeah, the candidate's right. name. Absolutely <laughs> correct. That, see, again, not that hard. So right now you're uh, eight. You're seven for eight. <clears throat> I thought this was over. It's not over two yet. More, two <laughs> okay, more. Okay, all right. Who was the first leader of a responsible government in the Canadas in 1849? Sir John A. Macdonald? Robert Baldwin, Louis Riel, or Sir Louis Hippolyte Lafontaine? I, I don't... I'm leaning to Robert Baldwin because he was a big guy around Toronto. And in fact, there's a fire on Baldwin Avenue in Toronto today. And named after him. What were they the leader of? First leader of a responsible government in the Canadas in 1849. This would be a hard one. I think it's Robert Baldwin. I think it's Robert Baldwin. Yeah, it's got to be Baldwin. Uh, Sir Louis Hippolyte Lafontaine. No. Did he? But he's the guy that invented Hawaiian nah, pizza. I'm tricking you. <laughs> okay. I'm just tricking you. You got it right. Robert Baldwin worked with Lafontaine uh, and led the first responsible ministry in Canada. So, it so was, all those people who are saying Clark's an idiot. <laughs> you got it right. I was just teasing you. To say. And finally, who was Sir Sam Steele? A great frontier hero, mounted policeman, and soldier of the Wasn't Queen. Was he a secret agent? A military leader of the Métis in the 19th century, the first Prime Minister of Canada, or the father of Manitoba? Wow, Sir Sam Steele. 
He should have an action franchise named after him. Yeah. He should. Okay, one more time. Great frontier hero, mounted policeman, and soldier of the Queen, a military leader of the Métis in the 19th century, the first prime minister of Canada, or the father of Manitoba. Well, he's not B or C. The first one seems reasonable. He's a sir, though. Well, have you as a servant for the Queen, it's... Okay. The protector of the queen, then she may Let's have knighted him. We're yeah. going to go with A. Absolutely correct. A great frontier hero, mounted policeman, and soldier of the queen. So see, we're going to high five each other. Those on are the, the radio. so. Here is the thing. <laughs> those were the har- apparently the hardest questions on. You guys got nine out of ten. I'm I'm Pretty very good. impressed. That's very good. That's uh, but I would say some of those would be very difficult for someone who was A new to the country. Not and when B, they get the package to study. That's true. But B not familiar with English. That would be tricky. Some of those ones. Those would, if you were mm-hmm. not speaking English as your first language, I would think some of those could be difficult. But a anyway. friend of mine was traveling back from to Canada, lost his passport, and was asked to verify citizenship. Three questions. Who is Louis Riel? What is the capital of PEI? And who is Bob Ray? Those are the three questions they asked him. <laughs> Uh, Bob Ray is the guy responsible for Ray Days. Would that have got me a correct answer? Yeah, I think it may have, yeah. Um, yeah, all right. We will, um, we're out of time to explain all the others, but I'm sure you could have got your passport back with those <laughs> yeah, questions. Yeah, I wouldn't have lost it in the first place. <laughs> Very well done, you two. Excellent job. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.